and things we might can, can use to encourage ourselves, even as we're going to think about four accounts here to begin. Uh, we're not going to do them back to back. We usually try to do one a month, and sometimes it varies a little. But, but as we go for you know, about four months in a row, think about uh, the same thing, right? The same thing in the story of Jesus, but some stuff we can still benefit from as we think about that. When we turn over to the gospel according to Matthew, and we touched on in the last lesson the gospel accounts and the way they connect and things, um, you know, it may be called the gospel according to Matthew, some call it Matthew's gospel, some say, of course, the gospel of Jesus um, that Matthew wrote down. There's different ways we can refer to it. Often we're not trying to be misleading when we say something that's a little different, although it helps us to be as accurate as we can. We know that the author is Matthew. Uh, we usually sometimes say that uh, the, actually, the, the actual author is, of course, the Holy Spirit who is helping to guide these men. But Matthew is attributed uh, to be the author. Early Christian writers unanimously assign this account to Matthew. I had to take a whole class uh, at Free Hardeman called uh, Critical Introduction to the New Testament where you know we talked about how these different people argue and some say, oh, well, Matthew didn't really write it or with other books. Maybe the person, Paul, didn't really write that. And when it comes to so-called scholarship, there may be some arguments about it, but we do uh, know that Matthew uh, is the author of this. The name Matthew means gift of God or something along those lines. Uh, when you think about uh, that, there may be some variation of that. But Matthew, again, is um, unanimously assigned to be the writer of this by early Christian writers. We don't have time today to get into what is often called the synoptic problem. If you've heard that phrase before or the synoptic gospels, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they are so similar in a lot of ways. And John is very different. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke make the synoptic gospels and then John is sort of out by itself. The synoptic problem is where people say, well, Matthew copied from Mark and then Luke wrote later and Luke must have copied from Matthew. And some people even have this theory that there is a document called Q. Like the letter Q, it's a short form of a, another word and things, but, but the Q document. And Mark took some of his from this other source called the Q document. And I know that sounds really confusing if you've never heard any of that. But in, among scholars, that is something that is debated. But there are ways to, to kind of study that and understand that. Um, I think the Q document some, is something where some people, it kind of makes them feel better uh, about some of the overlap. If you do remember about a month ago, what we said is it's hard to make people happy because if you have differences, what people say is, is oh, well, they must not be inspired because Matthew says this, but then Luke says that. Well, then if they're too close, everyone says, oh, well, they must have copied from each other. And so then it's not true either. And so you can't make people happy any way, any way that you go except to understand, as the previous slide said, but that Matthew wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Matthew also goes by the name Levi, of course. Uh, which is found in Mark chapter 2, uh, where we see that he goes by the name Levi. He is the son of Alphaeus, we read as well, in Mark chapter 2 in verse number 14. He is a tax collector, right? The dis most despised people of the time, just about, a publican or a tax collector. The tax collectors often represented Rome. They answered to Rome, and so for these Jews who did not like Roman rule, they were sort of, you know, as the representatives of Rome, then they were looked against. Also, who likes to pay taxes, right? Nobody wants to see the tax man coming. And on top of that, as you know, many tax collectors were 
not always honest. They would take extra and then keep that. And so all of these things are sort of working against Matthew. A couple of notes about him, though, uh, some from Scripture, maybe some from history or tradition. Uh, but Matthew seems to have been wealthy. It's actually in Luke's account, Luke chapter 5. But in Luke chapter 5, Matthew is the one who throws a feast for Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 29, it says, Then Levi, Matthew, gave a great feast in his own house. So he seems to have been wealthy to some degree. He's having all these people over. Um, You know, it also seems maybe a bit evangelistic, right? Maybe he's saying, look, I want you to come and see. I want you to come and hear this man that I have now attached myself to. He's able to do that because he has enough money to throw a feast and to have people come to his house. The part about honesty maybe be a little different. We know in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse number 1, that Zacchaeus comes around to being honest, right, in the sense that Zacchaeus says that he's going to pay back. We don't read exactly of Matthew doing that in the Bible, uh, but, you know, from all accounts, and if we think about him following Jesus, not to say that he never cheated anyone or, or that I know all about him in that way, that anybody has that exactly, but he seems to have been both wealth, wealthy and also honest. Ultimately, we know about Matthew is that he became an apostle. He was called to become an apostle. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 3, when we read the list of the apostles, beginning in verse number 2, listed in verse number 3 is Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. So he was called to be an apostle. One of the things that I don't have on the screen, but I want to share with you for just a moment, sometimes we talk about the date. And when we talk about the date of the book, most of you say, probably, and it's not a knock because I've been there before too, I don't know and it doesn't really matter to me, you know, if it was written in A.D. 55 or A.D. 72 or anything like that, I don't really, you know, it doesn't really matter a lot to me. But there are sometimes some interesting ways that we think about this and it can mean something to the entire look at the Bible. Turn to a couple places. First of all, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Now, Charles and I talk about this a lot. This was a sermon, and Jerry, this is a sermon unto itself, Matthew chapter 24. But when you look at Matthew chapter 24, uh, there is a discussion in the first 34 verses or so, all right? This may not be delineated in your Bible this way if you have headings, but in the first 34 verses or so, there is the discussion by Jesus of the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The coming destruction of Jerusalem. We think about this because in verse number 1, it tells us that he departed from the temple. And in verse number 3, they're going to ask these questions. And so he's referring to the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So if we're trying to date Matthew, Matthew starts in A.D. 70, or has to be before that, right? We start there and we come backwards. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 27 and 28, chapter 27 and verse number 8, chapter 27 verse 8, and then chapter 28 and verse 15, there's two phrases in these two verses that talk about and use this idea of unto this day or until this day. Particularly in Matthew 27, it deals with Judas and Judas taking his own life and the, the field of blood and the money that he had. And in verse number 8, it says, Therefore that field 
has been called the field of blood to this day. Now, I'm not going to tell you the exact year. We, we don't, you know, we sometimes think about Jesus, right? People talk about Jesus being born like in zero or, you know, one or something like that. You come forward about 30 years in his life and, and all of these things. We kind of do that general math in our head. So if Matthew is writing and he says, unto this day, that seems to be some time. Judas took his own life here. And Matthew says here, well, unto this day, whether it was five years or ten years, unto this day, it's still called that. So there's some time between that time and, and when Matthew writes. And we know that we had the high number of 70. It's before A.D. 70. Now it's, of course, past what Judas had done. And, you know, there's some other things to consider. You know from Luke, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, I guess you could say both, that Luke wrote both of those. And if Matthew was before Luke and Luke was before Acts, you start kind of doing more math and it gets a little, you know, fuzzy through there. But the book of uh, Matthew was probably somewhere around the mid-50s, around mid-50s. Some people say early, some people say mid, uh, somewhere between 50 and 57, maybe 55, I don't know. but, but, But that's kind of how we can look at Scripture and try to figure out the date. Again, some people say, well, that doesn't quite mean so much to me. I understand. Uh, But it does help to look at some of these events and say something about we can kind of nail down a date. When we think about the key thought of Matthew, here's what uh, should be in your bulletin if you're following along there. But Matthew was uh, written to the Jews to present Jesus as the promised Messiah and King. So the readers are going to mainly be Jewish readers, and they're, need, they're going to need to be told that Jesus was the pr- promised Messiah and King. And that is the, the history of Matthew. I mean, that's what Matthew is coming from. We're going to come back to that at the very end of our lesson here in just a moment. But this is where the context of why and how Matthew is writing. He's writing to show the Jews that Jesus was the promised Messiah and King. This may be hard to make out for some of you where you sit there, but when we think about this emphasis on him being a king, we're not going to obviously look at each, every one of these, but he had a king's name, right? Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us, that's his name, had a king's name, a king's position, even the announcement of his birth as we think about what takes place in the beginning of Matthew He had the authority of a king. Chapter uh, 7, verse 29. He taught as one having authority. They recognize this. They say he taught as one having authority, not as the scribes. We talked about the Pharisees and the scribes this morning. People say, he's not like them. He's got authority. We recognize that. A king's authority. He should have a king's loyalty. He would say, either you are with me or those who are not with me are against me loyalty to the king he of course had enemies as we know he's going to be killed he had a king's love glory sacrifice and ultimately a king's victory right those who were there at the tomb say he's not here he has a king's victory as he's going to be resurrected so uh, when we think about going through the book there's an emphasis on kings he is presented as the promised king that is coming 
when I didn't, I'm not going to have a brief outline for you this afternoon. It's kind of uh, a little difficult to outline Matthew. One reason is because when we think about Matthew, Matthew is systemic or systematic, excuse me, systematic in the way that he writes. And not only that, but we might add even topical. What do we want when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? We want chronological, right? He's born, and all these things happen till he's 12, and then all these things happen in this order, and then he's killed. That's what we like. We want it to be chronological. But it's not always that way. And this way, Matthew is systematic, and he's also topical. The emphasis in Matthew is on his teaching, on his words. We're going to get to Mark, of course, in a few weeks, God be willing. But in Mark, the emphasis is on his action. Jesus did this. Jesus went there. Jesus performed these things. All three of the synoptic gospels touch on what Jesus did. But Matthew seems to emphasize his teaching. Why? Because he was authoritative. As we said just a moment ago, he had the authority and he says that, and Matthew wants to emphasize this. So he talks a lot about Jesus' teaching. Another thing about Matthew is Matthew, the, the book of Matthew serves as a bit of a bridge, bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament in several different ways. One way, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the Old Testament is crying out, the Christ is coming, the Christ is coming. The Christ is coming. Every book, just about touching on, the Christ is coming. And Matthew bridges that gap by opening up by saying, the Christ is here. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the, the Christ, is here. Not only that, think in another way about John. Malachi, Malachi closes in Malachi chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6 with talking about John the baptizer. And Matthew begins, in a sense, with John the baptizer's ministry, what John the Baptist was going to be doing in uh, Matthew chapter 3. And so there's this gap, bridging the gap, between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to come back to this in just a moment, but there are so many Old Testament references in Matthew that, again, help emphasize this bridging of the gap. Let's talk about a few key words. The word kingdom, the word kingdom is used 55, 55 times. The words or the phrase kingdom of heaven is found 32 times and it's found only in Matthew, this idea of the kingdom of heaven. The word king is used 20 times. Now here's what's interesting about that. They don't all refer to Jesus, right? Sometimes they're going to talk about other kings, King Herod. Or other kings like that. But the word king is used some 20 times. And the words right, uh, righteous or righteousness. Righteous or righteousness are used more in Matthew than in all the other accounts combined. The word emphasizing righteous or righteousness of Jesus. But you see here what we've already said. King, king, king. He is our king. The key phrase that is used in Matthew is the phrase that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled. This phrase is used 16 times in Matthew's account here, that it might be fulfilled. And here's what's kind of neat about Matthew when this particular phrase, Mark and Luke and John will say 
something about something fulfilling a prophecy. I'll say, oh, this fulfilled the prophecy. But it's kind of unique to Matthew that he says, and when he does this, that it might be fulfilled by the words of the prophet or the prophecy. He says it, lays it out there for him, tells him exactly what he's talking about. And so that it might be fulfilled is a, a pretty important key phrase when it comes to Matthew here. And as I said a moment ago, we'd come back to this, but there are more Old Testament references than any other gospel account when it comes to Matthew. Those numbers, if you're making your own notes there, <clears throat> excuse me, those numbers, 60, there are 60 quotations, 60 quotations, and approximately, approximately 130 references. 60 quotations and approximately 130 references. You know, Matthew's not the longest, but, you know, it's one of the longer accounts that we have. But I would say those numbers are still pretty high. When you start flipping through the pages and you start thinking, oh, well, it's only so many pages in my Bible. If there are 60 Old Testament references, we may be talking about one a page, you know, or something like that. There are a lot of Old Testament references, and Matthew is doing that to bridge that gap and to tell these Jews practicing Jewish ideas and traditions about the king who has come. Also, we would notice in Matthew that there are parables and miracles. Of course, there are going to be some in each. But there are 15 parables, 10 of which are unique to Matthew, and 20 miracles, 3 of which are unique to Matthew. That's a pretty small number, the idea of three being unique. There are other places in which miracles are emphasized. We think about Luke. When we come to Luke in a, in a few weeks, Luke is a physician, and so Luke is going to emphasize those things. They're amazing to him as someone who has worked with and studied the human body and those kinds of things. Um, so Matthew doesn't have as many that are unique to him, but of course there are. Uh, there is some discussion here about how, um, you know, about how those are used. Matthew bridges the gap. You know, the king is coming to the king has come. The kingdom is coming to the kingdom has come. Salvation is coming to salvation has come. He's trying to emphasize for these Jews the important nature of the fact that the king has come, Jesus is here, and they need to recognize that. It's difficult, right? It's very, very hard. Um, but as they're going through persecution... Right as we think about the fact that some of these years has some of these years have passed since Jesus has lived and died, these Jewish Christians are being persecuted, and so Matthew is going to put together his account of the life of Jesus so that they could be encouraged, so that they could know exactly who he was and what he had done, and that even gets back to just a. Uh, what we mentioned earlier, I, I forgot to say this here, but what we said just a few moments ago was the fact of Matthew copying from Mark, copying from Luke, or all of these kind of, there are about eight different theories, by the way. There are even charts you can look at where people try to describe this. But think of what was Matthew. Matthew was an eyewitness, was he not? Matthew was an eyewitness. When some people emphasize that Matthew was written first, he did not copy from Mark. Mark was not an eyewitness as an, as an apostle. So why would Matthew go over to Mark and say, hey, can you tell me about what it was that I saw or what it was that I had been an eyewitness to? Matthew had been an eyewitness being there with Jesus, 
And so he is going to write this and put this together to try to encourage these Jewish Christians. In fact, what some people say is this. It's kind of in three parts here on the screen. Uh, But I know that uh, in some of the studies that I have done, uh, Frank Dunn, there's a book by a man uh, named Frank Dunn called Know Your Bible. Frank Dunn, Know Your Bible. It's a great study um, of the books of the Bible, kind of what we've been doing. Some of the material we've used are from that book, Know Your Bible by Frank Dunn. Um, If you're writing your own notes and you like to write this down, I don't think you're going to go find this one because I've been told it's about this thick. Uh, if you go find it from the library, and I, I looked in ours and didn't see one. There's another book called uh, Studies in the Life of Christ. Studies in the Life of Christ from R.C. Foster. Studies in the Life of Christ from R.C. Foster. Uh, that may be not be one you can just pick up and check out from the library and have. You may have to buy it. And it may be pretty expensive because it's a pretty thick book. But that book is interesting in really breaking down the life of Jesus so much so that there is an, a section in R.C. Foster's book about how the weather was impacting the ministry of Jesus during that time. He's done that much digging, that much research into it. And so I know a lot of preachers uh, who've been to preaching school and things who have, have had that one as part of their studies. And so uh, studies in the life of Christ is a lot uh, more detailed, but still all of these help us uh, to understand this. So from Frank Dunn's book here, we could kind of sum up Matthew by saying Matthew is a book written by a Jew, Matthew, That was written to Jews, all right, written by a Jew to Jews. Is that not important, right? If somebody wants to share with you the history of the state of Tennessee, somebody wants to share with you the history of the United States of America, you're probably going to want to hear it from somebody who lived in the state of Tennessee or lived in the United States of America, not someone from, you know, a European country. Matthew is written by a Jew to Jews, and here's where some variation takes place. A lot of people say about a Jew, written by a Jew to Jews about a Jew. They call Jesus a Jew. I don't think that's meant to be disrespectful, but I like the emphasis here in this way, written by a Jew to Jews about the Jew, the one, Jesus the Christ. Um, I actually opened my Bible this afternoon as we were about to begin, and my Bible is a, is a bit of a study Bible, but it has the same thing written across the top of this. So I'm not sure exactly where this originated, and it says, uh, two Jews about a Jew. So I don't mean to, to say that anyone is trying to be disrespectful or irreverent there, but I do think it's important as we emphasize and think about the Jew, Jesus. That is the point of the book. And one thing that we could do, and we don't have time this afternoon, but is when you go through the book of Matthew, you find Jesus speaking about the gospel plan of salvation. You know, you've got to kind of read all of his words. Uh, Matthew 16, he talks about believing. Uh, Matthew 21, he talks about repentance. Matthew 10, he talks about confession. But when we put that slide up, usually at the end of our lessons, about the plan of salvation, somebody says, well, you talk about the book of Acts. That's true. We see it play out on the the pages of the book of Acts. But even here in Matthew's account, Jesus himself Go step by step through what a person must do. Believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. With that, of course, it's only right that we close the lesson the same way. Matthew emphasizes Jesus, and we do the same thing. It's why we extend his invitation, because it's all about him. And Matthew begins what's going to be a great series of studies thinking about these accounts, pointing towards the one who has come, and in Matthew's case in particular, the king. 
who is here, who reigns forever, and who we can serve. If you're here this afternoon and you have never put Christ on in baptism, began to serve him in that way, we will sing this song that's been selected to encourage you. Maybe you've done that, but you have, maybe you've turned your back, maybe you've wandered away. As we know, the Bible portrays for us the picture of sin and sin separating us from God. If you're here this afternoon, brother or sister, as a child of God, you've wandered away, we sing to encourage you as well that you might come back to him, back to the king, because he is the only one who can provide that rest. Maybe you're here and you need the prayers of the church to encourage you. We would love to do just that, even now as we stand together and ask.